Mission Church. It is a joy and pleasure to be with you this morning and not be earlier in the week. It has been a long week for me and many of our staff at Hope House. Um, so let me just pause. I text many of you yesterday, uh, specifically in our mission community, uh, just to ask you to pray for me because just, just going to be straight honest. I'm just tired. Uh, it's been a been a long week, but God has sustained us uh, and sustained me. So thank you so much. So last last week we heard from Pastor Eric uh, exposit to us Exodus sixteen one through twenty one said twenty two, but we're going to start there this morning. So he shared how God had a purpose for the Israelites. Secondly, he talked about how God makes a promise for them and that He is good on His promises. In Exodus 16, the Lord is using two ways, two specific ways to lead the Israelites to trust Him and to rest in Him rather than live in doubt and fear. So in the first part of 16, God used the provision of manna. What is manna? What is it? Right? On a daily basis to instill trust in the Lord's promises and deepen their relationship and dependency on the Lord. But instead, we saw them what? We saw them grumble. But today, we're going to look at how God will lead His people to trust and to obey Him more by embracing the gift of the Sabbath, but rather, we will see them disobey. So in Exodus 16, 22 through 35, in honor of the Lord's Word, may we stand and read it together. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much bread, two omers each, and when all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, this is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake and boil what you will boil, and all that is left over lay it aside to be kept till the morning. So they laid it aside till the morning, and as Moses commanded them, and it did not stink, and there was no worms in it. Moses said, Eat it today, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, which is a Sabbath, there will be none. On the seventh day, some of, pe some of the people went out to gather, but they found none. And the Lord said to Moses, How long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See? The Lord has given you the Sabbath, therefore on the sixth, sixth day He gives you bread for two days. Remain each of you in his place. Let no one go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. Verse 31, Now, on the, house, now the house of Israel called its name manna. It was like coriander seed, white, and the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. Moses said, This is what the Lord has commanded. Let, omer, let an omer of it be kept throughout your generation so that they may see the bread with which I fed you in the wilderness when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. And Moses said to Aaron, Take a jar, put an omer of manna in it, and place it before the Lord to be kept throughout your generations. As the Lord commanded Moses, so Aaron placed it before the testimony to be kept. The people of Israel ate the manna forty years till they came to a habitable land. They ate the manna till they came to the border of the land of Canaan. In verse 36, an omer 
is the tenth part of an ephah. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we thank You that this is the Word of the Lord. This is not my Word. This is not anyone's other Word but Yours. And so, Lord, we thank You for the counsel of Your Word. We thank You for this church family. Lord, we thank You for those that are watching with us this morning on uh, Facebook Live. Lord, we thank You for the, the fact that You brought us to this place uh, to be reminded that You are God, that You are King, Lord, that You are the Maker of the heavens and the earth, that You are the One who holds all things together. And Lord, we thank You that You are the One who's going to return and make all things new. And in our wrestling, may we be faithful to You. May we take this text and may we apply it to our life and may we use it, Lord, to seek uh, Your face more and seek out those who are in desperate need of You. But Lord, I pray that You be with me as I preach Your Word. Lord, I pray, like in the song we just sang, may my boast be only in You. So, Father, we love You. It is in Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I, growing up, I was an extremely insecure kid. As I grew up, I found that I could be and act a certain way whether it was imitating Jim Carrey from Ace Ventura, still people today say, dude, that was just like Jim Carrey, right? I still get that. Um, or maybe it was doing an impression of Harry Carey. If you don't know who Harry Carey is, your parents failed you. Okay, Harry Carey was a famous announcer for the Chicago Cubs. Um, if the moon was made of cheese, would you, you know, okay, Harry Carey was an incredible, incredible baseball announcer. Or in college, I was dressing up as Napoleon Dynamite for a youth conference. Some of you probably could see that. Maybe some of you did see that. I would do all of this because it would make people laugh. It would get me attention. And when I had attention, it gave me a sense of security and absolute comfort. In my insecurities and my fear, I struggled to believe in my heart, ultimately, I was bent towards the idols of my life. My allegiance was to everyone I could get attention from. Everyone. If I could make you laugh, I would do it. I don't know if I was funny. I don't know if you were laughing with me. Honestly, as I've grown older, I've learned that they're laughing at me. And that hurt. Some of you still laugh at me. But it was paralyzing. My insecurities were driven by doubt and absolute fear. The fear of not being wanted or feeling like I, I couldn't measure up. I tried really hard to be, like, uh, to be liked and not let anyone down. If they wanted funny, I would give them funny. If they wanted serious, I would give them serious. If they wanted someone to take a risk, I would be that risk taker. I was a fad follower. I was an attention seeker. But it didn't begin my journey, my walk with Jesus, until I was 17 years old. I'm 37 now, but I, even when I struggled with these insecurities to be tempted, I would go back to these things that gave me earthly comfort in, in, in moments of fear and not trusting the promises of God. Ultimately, at 37, I'm still tempted by these things. I'm still tempted to find my rest in anything other than the Lord. I remember in my early days of Hope House, I would look at the news, social media, 
and see email, email updates of other nonprofits and other churches that would do some type of outreach, and then I would think, man, we should have done that. Why isn't anyone giving us that kind of attention? Or, or I'd be jealous of the attention that they would get. Or if a grant was given to another nonprofit, I would beat myself up because I would think, we should get that. Or I should have worked harder to get that. I mean, it was paralyzing. It was extremely exhausting to feel this way all the time. Now, through much biblical counseling and, and, and men in my life, they've helped me to sort through a lot of like, what's the root of this? But I was trying to gather more things of this world for my security rather than trust in God's promises of His provision and rest in His plan. Today we're looking at the Israelites who disobey the Lord and reject God's command to rest in the Sabbath. In this passage, we see the Lord's plan was, was, was not to just deepen their trust in Him, but through obedience, learn to rest in Him. And just like the Israelites, when, when I feared insecurity, I sought control. And when I was in control, it bred disobedience. And and ultimately, to me, serving these idols in my life, to serve my idols in an attempt to manage my fear of insecurity. So what is the Sabbath? Why is it important for you and I? Why would God make this an important thing for His people? I think first, the Lord, to share the Sabbath rest with the Israelites and you and I is, is an intimate act of the Lord. Wanting to be with His people. Secondly, accepting the Sabbath is admitting that you and I are not in control. And number three, it's an admittance that we aren't God and you and I are limited. We are limited and that we need rest. But why is the struggle so hard for these Israelites? We can't forget. They have spent more years in slavery to the Egyptians than they have walked with Lord outside of slavery. 430 years, the Israelites have been in slavery. There's no Sabbath. There's no rest. There's just wrestling and toiling in the midst of absolute oppression. Then the Lord invites them to gather twice the amount of man on the sixth day and rest on the seventh day. But they are in absolute fear because they have literally lived day by day, hour by hour. And so fear and doubt begins to creep in. So let's now dig in. Let's dig into Exodus 16. I'm going to have five points for you as we walk through this text. So if you're a point taker, if you are that, that type A personality, as Pastor Eric says, uh, like me, um, Here's the first one. God places His law around us to keep us, to point us in the way that we should go. God places His law around us to keep us and point us in the way that we should go. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much bread, two omers each. And when all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, this is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow's a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake, and boil what you will boil, and all that is left over lay aside to be kept till the morning. So they laid it aside till the morning as Moses commanded them. It did not stink, and there were no worms. Moses said, Eat it today, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. 
Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, which is the Sabbath, there will be none. The intent of God's law for you and I is to protect us. It's to keep us. It's to hold us close. These leaders confront Moses because the Israelites had, had two omers. And that's like, no, 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 we can't do that. We only have, have one a day. But each... So each leader came up. And then Moses responded. And the Lord said earlier on, in Exodus 16, 4 through 5, as many speculate the Israelites wouldn't know about the Sabbath, we see that Moses had received direct instruction from the Lord. He says this in, in Exodus 16, 4 through 5 Behold, I'm about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day, that I may test them whether they will they will they will walk in my law or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. In verse 23, we clearly see God gives His people a command. And the command is, is that gather twice as much, you'll have solemn rest on the Sabbath, but the Sabbath did not come out of a burden of obedience. But rather, it was out of a gift of rest. A gift of rest for His people that could only be found in the Lord. The Sabbath was to be a blessing and a holy act to God. Listen to Genesis. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them, and on the seventh day, God finished His work that He had done, and He rested on the seventh day from all of this work that He had done. So God blessed the seventh day. He made it holy because on it, God rested from all of His work that He had done in creation. You and I are called to live as imitators of God. Ephesians 5, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved, dearly loved children. Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave Himself up for us, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice to God. But we then see, in verse 24, their response. They lay their provision aside till the morning. And God's provision, at this very moment, if you've been a Christian your whole life, or for a day, or maybe it is today that that happens for you. This should put you in absolute wonder that He provided for them. Provision is the action of providing or supplying something for use. But here's the thing, it did not stink. It did not rot. There were no worms in it. We see in Exodus 20, maggots and worms is a different word used, but here it meant that or in 1620, meant that larvae, flies, and beetles bred, but in verse 24, refers to destruction and decay. That means it would be inedible. It would be absolutely rotten, but the Lord preserved it. He preserved what He had provided for them. And then we see instructions given. He says, eat it today, because if you try to gather on the Sabbath, there won't be any. On the sixth day, gather it, but on the seventh day, there will be none. God's control is absolutely covering their lives. You and I need to hear this this morning. It is this. God has placed many Moseses and Aaron's in our lives. We've been given the law, but we've also received people who help us keep the law. In our sinfulness, though, we seek to lie and manipulate when we're confronted. Or in a resting 
in God for our salvation, we seek to adhere to counsel and respond in obedience. Just like his, he was gracious to the Israelites to give them Moses, who had received the law, to give them counsel, to give them instruction, to instruct the leaders to go back to then instruct the people, you and I have sovereignly been placed, people in and around us, to counsel us in the way that we should go. I would say that the last really four or five years of my life, there have been specific men God has used to point me in the way that I should go. That has directly affected my marriage. That has directly affected my relationship with my kids. That has directly reflected my relationship with my coworkers and anyone that I come in contact. And it's just a very simple call to live a life of intentionality. To live a life of selflessness. To live a life of, of caring and seeking out others in a way that it's not putting me at the center. See, man, I struggle with selfishness. I love the thought of coming home from work and just kind of going, all right, it's time to rest now. But through, through men and through the counsel of other men in my life, they have, they have pushed me, they have sparred me, they have encouraged me to realize that I am to live a life of sacrifice unto the Lord. I would argue some of you can directly relate to those same types of relationships in your life. But I'd also say that some of you are hearing counsel, but you're not responding to it. You're rejecting counsel. You're choosing to go your own way rather than follow the ways of the Lord. But hear this, God is being gracious to you if He has placed people in and around you and they're speaking truth into your life. I can only plead with you that you will hear the counsel of men and women around you, that you will respond in faithfulness, that you will respond in obedience, and that you will respond in repentance, turning away. Secondly, you and I, we will struggle to be obedient when we doubt the Lord. We will struggle to be obedient when we doubt the Lord. You see, when we, when we doubt, we fear. And when we fear, we seek to control. And when we control, we create idols to manage our doubt. It's a, it's a, it's a disgusting cycle that you and I are tempted to live in every day. On the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather, but they found none. And the Lord said to Moses, How long will you refuse to keep my commandments and law? Here we see man's disobedience. On the seventh day, some went out to gather, and they found none. You would be a fool to say that you and I, or that you don't doubt, that you don't struggle. How many of us have been in those moments in our life where we're sitting here going, are your promises true, God? I just lost my job. I just lost my spouse. I just had that relationship I've been trusting and resting in and all of a sudden it's gone. Are your promises true, God? 
Will you truly keep your promise tomorrow? And, the, and will the manna return? Will it return? Or will it be gone? Jesus, are you there? Are you there? Or maybe you can't see where Jesus is at. Or maybe you think, and Jesus doesn't see what you're struggling with and struggling in. Or maybe you're questioning Jesus' love for you. Maybe you're wrestling with the truth of the gospel that He has come and rescued you in the midst of your sin and that God perfectly displayed His love for you that while you were yet a sinner, Christ died for you. Maybe you're just wrestling with that truth that hinges all of the gospel in that He loves you. But isn't it true? Isn't it so true that when we begin to doubt, we begin to fear. When we begin to fear, we begin to try to take control. When we begin to take control, we begin to try to create these things to manage this doubt and fear that we have. Well, i got to get these people to like me. I can't, I can't let this person really know what I think, feel, and how I truly am struggling. So I've got to live this facade. If there's anything that I just would love to see happen in the church is that we would just bear everything out to each other. That we would not live in this hidden sin of these struggles that, that, that we have and we could say, can, can you just help me know what it means to just rest in Jesus better because I'm just struggling with that. I don't believe He can provide me what I desperately need and that is forgiveness. It's grace. But then we see the Lord disciplines. How long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my law? God is testing His people in obedience. As I mentioned earlier, obedience is not a burden. Rather, it is a generous gift. You and I are even worthy of responding to God in obedience out of what He has done for us. Let alone try to use obedience to manipulate God. Or use His obedience as a bargaining chip. God, how many of you heard this testimony? Like we've all heard it. God, if you just do this, I'm going to do this. Like, God is not a casino. Like, we don't go to, we don't go to God like, like He's not this, this guy who's, who's dealing chips to us. If you just, man, just make this happen, then man, I'm going to give you it all. But in reality, what we should be saying is, God, look. Look what you have done. Look what you have done on our behalf. Our obedience should be bred out of joy. But we see God is confronting His people similar to how He confronted Pharaoh in Exodus 10.3. How long will you refuse Me? This is a man who thought he was God. That His throne was over all of creation. But do we see the Lord come in and say, how long will you refuse me? 
Here's the truth. And here's the deep struggle for you and I this morning. That we want to hide. We want to cover. We don't want anybody to know. We don't want to expose. It is this. You're acting like the Egyptians. I am acting like the Egyptians. We, as a body, tend to act like the Egyptians more often than not. The Lord has already warned the Israelites back in Exodus 15, verse 26. There the Lord made for them a statute and a rule, and there He tested them, saying, If you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God, and do that which is right in His eyes, and give ear to His commandments, and keep all His statutes... I will put none of the disease on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord, your healer. Your healer, excuse me. Now, like, okay. We, I get it, like, it's easy. We get the end of the story, but even the Israelites know what those, pra- what those plagues look like. All right, boils, I'm good. If this right here, Exodus 15, 26, just live here and then pursue you faithfully, and I don't get boils, I'm in. Sign me up. Like frogs? I mean, I'm not scared. Like, if you have not been able to go back and listen to the implications of every plague that our pastors walk through, I wish I had time. You need to. Because every one of those plagues confronted a specific idol in the Egyptians. Every one. But in our best attempts... You and I can't keep the law. You can't. I can't. No matter how hard the Israelites tried to follow the Lord's command, they would continue to fall short. They would continue to question God. They would continue to grumble. They would continue to doubt. But listen, it's in our nature. Just like the Israelites, we are born in rebellion against God. Not just a little, but complete. We are completely rebellious. That is why we need Jesus to come and completely make us whole. It is our nature to break God's law. You can try to keep God's law, but you will always fall short. You're always going to fall short. The Lord unmeritedly gave the Israelites the law. They didn't earn it. He faithfully provided for the Israelites even when they couldn't keep the law, but brought forth and showed us the one who would keep the law for us. Galatians 4, 4 through 4-5. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoptions as sons. Church, we must not forget, you and I must not forget how far Jesus has taken us from our sin and the debt of our sin that He absolutely erased it. It is gone. But we must not forget how quickly and easily we will return to the life we once lived before Christ when we doubt Him. Oh, how quick. My dog Louie is disgusting. He is absolutely disgusting. If, you, if you've in our MC, you know Louie. He's the greatest dog on the planet. The dude's disgusting though. Goes outside. Eats a tennis ball. 
and then he lets it stew for a minute. Sorry, but then he goes and throws it up. And then he's like, I'm going to eat that tennis ball vomit. And then he does it again. And this cycle continues and continues. But isn't that like you? You're like, I don't do that. But isn't that like us? Isn't that our own struggle? And we forget how far Jesus has taken us from our sin and the debt of our sin, and He absolutely erased it, but how quick we are to return it in our doubt, in our disobedience. Hear me when I say this. You will doubt. It's not if, but it's when. But it is what we do with that doubt, that doubt that is most important. James 1, 1 through 5. Write down this passage of text because we're not going to have time. James 1, 2 through 18. Write it down, go back and look at it. But James 1, 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. Isn't it unique that Jesus is the one that calmed the storm? I think it's fair to say that it is only Jesus who can calm your doubt. It is only Jesus who can calm the storms in your life. 2 Timothy 1.7 For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Some of us just need to pump the brakes and stop running so hard and begin to rest in His Spirit and realize in that Spirit he gives us self-control. Philippians 4.4 Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say it. Rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your request be made known to God. Pray, church family. Pray that He would calm your doubts. Because here's the promise. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in who? Not you. You a mess. But in Christ Jesus. Next. I believe this is point three. The Lord graciously reminds us of His promises even in our disobedience. The Lord graciously reminds us of His promises even in our disobedience. Listen to this, verse 29. See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, He gives you bread for two days. Remain each of you in His place. Let no one go out of, of His place on the seventh day. The Lord clearly affirms His promise and His command. He is given the Sabbath, therefore on the sixth day He gives you bread for two days. The Sabbath was a gift from the Lord. See, the tension of the Sabbath for you and I is we see it as a restriction. We see it as a restriction. Some law we must just keep. It's really weird. It's like old. It's not as important. 
Because, like, he doesn't know how busy we are in America and all that we got to get done. Like, I'm sorry if that offended anybody, but here's the thing. But verses, recognizing the Sabbath is an absolute holy honor to the Father. To rest. To rest. I'm terrible at this. Eric said in his sermon, he's like, I hate this text. I don't like this either. Because it tells me I'm not God. And it tells me who's in control. And it tells me what I can't do. And it tells me what I desperately need. But in my rebellion and my rejection against God, I'm like, rest? What is that? I mean, y'all, I slept four hours last night. Whose fault's that? It's mine. It's not yours. It's not that I had to preach on Sunday. It's that I just, I just assumed I could do way more than who I really am. You know what's going to happen this afternoon? I'm going to crash. I'm absolutely going to hit a wall. But in my foolishness, I need your help. I need you to hold me accountable. But Mark 2, 27. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Matthew Henry says this, and says what Jesus was saying was the Sabbath was made for man and that it was meant for our good. God knows we're dust and understands how fragile a frame is. And knowing us, since He created us, He knows that we need to have one day of rest in seven. Remain each of you in His place. Let no one go out of this place on the seventh day. The fact that God will remind us of His promise and then continue to tell us what, what we should do affirms that we were not the ones that could truly sustain the Sabbath, but rather it was Him. It was a gift from the Lord. The Lord is sharing this divine gift of rest with the Israelites. Maybe you struggle with resting. I would argue it's because you struggle with resting in God's promises. This would not have, have been something the Israelites would have been accustomed to in their slavery to the Egyptians. They were toiling. They were wrestling in their slavery and work. We can't even begin to grasp the oppressiveness of what they were in physically. Constantly doubting and fearing. But then to hear their God say that I give you this to protect you and our relationship with each other, to protect the covenant God made with His people. The law is good. And even His law, it is there to protect us. Point four. We must rest in the work Christ has done rather than live in fear of what you can't do. This is point four. We must rest in the work that Christ has done, rather than live in the fear of what you can't do. Verse 30. So the people rested on the seventh day. Your temptation, your struggle, and your sin will not be erased after this sermon. It's not. It's not going to evaporate. It's not going to go away. It won't be erased when you rise in the morning. 
Rather, you and I are offered a wonderful opportunity to put on the new self each day by the work that Christ has done. That is where your day should begin, is where my day should begin, and it is where it should end to rest on the seventh day. Listen to this, Colossians 3, 1 through 4. If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. Seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, you ready for this good news? Then you also will appear with Him in glory. Do you hear that? Do you hear that? This wrestling and this toiling, this this struggling of of being obedient to the Lord and and doing it out of joy because of what Christ has done, it cannot be done now because of you just trying to have your life in order and getting your to-do list done each week. Rather, it is looking upon the things that are above, not setting your mind on things on earth. And we can rest in knowing that what is above is it is where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. That all of your goodness that you experience, all the struggles that you experience, goes through Christ who is interceding at the right hand of God. So He is not blinded. He is not surprised. He is not confused by what you're going through right now. And He is not fooled by your disobedience. He's not. He is not fooled by mine. God cannot bless disobedience. It's pretty simple. But point five. He cannot bless your disobedience, but when you turn from your disobedience, God invites you to tell your story. When you turn from your disobedience, God continues and wants you to tell your story. Verse 31 through 36. Now the house of Israel called its name manna. It was like coriander seed, white, and the taste of it was like the wafers made with honey. Moses said, this is what the Lord has commanded. Let an omer of it be kept throughout your generations, which is about one to two liters. Okay? Let an omer of it be kept throughout your generations so that they may see the bread with which I fed you in the wilderness when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. He's not pointing to the Israelites and saying, look what you did. He's not looking to the Israelites and let's tell the next generations of how you kept my promise. But brother, he is saying, I want you to tell the next generations about how, how good I am. I want you to glorify me. I want you to tell them what I have done. And Moses said to Aaron, take a jar, put an omer of manna in it, place it before the Lord to be kept throughout your generations. As the Lord commanded Moses, so Aaron placed it before the testimony to be kept. The people of Israel ate the manna forty years, so they came to a 
habitable, sometimes I struggle with words, habitable land. They ate the manna until they came to the border of the land of Canaan. Verse 36, and Omer is the tenth of the part of Ephah. You have a story. You have a story to tell. Your story is either grafted into God's grand story of redemption, or you're still wondering and searching apart from God in disobedience to figure out what your story is. If you're trying to figure out your story, let me tell you some good news. God has been seeking you out. Just like He sought out the Israelites. Just like the Israelites and just like me, you are born to rebel, reject, and question your Heavenly Father as King and run away from His promises and live a life with with yourself on the throne and, and being your own King. God was gracious to provide you the law. And shows us every day that you and I can't keep the law. I'm reminded of this every day by how I fail my wife, how I fail my children. I never fail my coworkers. I do it all the time. But we see that that, that we can't keep the law, and we see that when we just arrogantly rebel against it. But God is holy. And He demands absolute perfection. And He cannot be in the presence of sin. But He loves you and He knows you can't keep His law perfectly. And he, and he knows that you've broken His law. And because we broke His law, we are separated from God. You and I are in absolute separation. But because you broke the law. Not because He failed you. So someone must die. Something must pay the due penalty for the sins that we have committed, the law that we have broken against God, and ultimately the one who should pay for breaking God's law, it's you. It's me. It's the ungodly. But God. Romans 8, verse 6, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly, For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows His love for us in that while we were yet still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by His blood, much more shall we be saved by Him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by His life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away, the new has come. All this is from God. All of this good news is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to Himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Do you hear that? He doesn't just reconcile us. He invites us to the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to Himself, not counting the trespasses against them, and entrusting us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, if we are ambassadors for Christ, God making His appeal through us. 
So we implore you. As Paul says, I'm, I'm imploring you on behalf of Christ. Be reconciled to God. Be reconciled to God. For our sake He made Him to be sin who knew no sin so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. And what makes Jesus' death so sweet for you and I is the grave could not hold Him dead. Rather, on the third day, Jesus rose. He rose from the dead. He did what no man could do. He conquered sin. He conquered death. And Lord, He conquered the enemy. And the promise is this, Romans 10.9, If you confess your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, the Bible says, His Word says, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the Scripture says, everyone who believes in Him will not be put to what? Shame. Don't like, oh, thank goodness. Right? The great news about the story of redemption is is Jesus' work in our life is our testimony to share with our friends and our enemies, not just in deed, but in word. To be faithful to share the stories. To be faithful to share His promises. And this invitation to share our stories with others after we turn from our disobedience. I'm not saying you not saying try not to do it again, but turn away from it. Repent of it. To put it down at the foot of the cross and realize that, that, that it has been crucified with Christ. It's you know who longer lives. But it's Christ who lives in you. Matthew 28, 18. Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Go therefore. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. You and I, for those that are in Christ, we are commanded to not just be kind, and loving, and morally astute people, but rather to live lives of being faithful and obedient unto the Lord. One of my favorite books in all of Scripture, and maybe because it makes me just feel better, is Jeremiah. Like he was a weeping, bubbly crying prophet. He ministered for 40 years and nothing happened. And literally the Lord looked at him, I am just asking you to be faithful and obedient. And the call is the same for you and I. We must reject. We must run to Jesus. And we must resist the temptation of sin. We must lead and point people to the One who has reconciled us back to the Father, that being Christ Jesus, our Lord, and call others to repentance. We must devote ourselves to the preaching and the teaching of the Word so you are equipped to do what? To make disciples. 
and then baptize them and teach them to observe all that who has commanded? Jesus has commanded. And this is the promise for you. In your struggle, in you turning from your sin, in you pursuing Jesus and not yourself, is that the promise is, is that I am with you always until the end of the age. This is the best news we could hear right now. There's no huge, rich... I mean, these are simple truths that you and I continually, continually to reject and rebel against. So if you have nothing in this world, absolutely nothing, but if you have the promised hope of Christ Jesus as your substitute, as your reigning King in your life, as your Savior, you have everything. And that you can rest in that truth until we see the bread of life return, the true bread of life, and bring forth the new heavens and new earth. Let us pray.